Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. It's a wonderful day to be together. So happy we can spend this time in the Word. Always look forward to the first day of the week. I want to invite you to please get out your Bible and make your way into your Old Testament. Will you please turn with me in your Bible to the book of 1 Samuel? I want to invite you to 1 Samuel chapter 29. 1 Samuel 29. Just park yourself there. That's going to be the section of the Bible we'll be studying throughout the course of this morning. How did I get here? How did I get here? You ever found yourself asking that question before? I suspect that there are a lot of people across the globe every single day who ask themselves this question. In fact, I suspect that there are some people sitting in a jail cell right now who are probably asking themselves this question. There are probably some people, maybe even as I'm speaking to you right now, who are somewhere sitting in a jail cell. They have lost their freedom and they're asking themselves, how did I get here? How did I get to this point in my life? How did I let one night of uncontrolled anger get me here? How did I let one night of drinking and driving get me here? How did I let a moment of covetousness and thievery in a department store get me here? How did I let a moment of lust and flirting with my coworker get me here? How did I let those things evolve into us spending time together outside of the office and then we're going to dinner together and now we're holding hands and we're spending nights at ho in hotel rooms and, and now I, I've destroyed my family. Now my, my wife is divorcing me. And I'm having to spend a whole bunch of money on lawyers and court costs and, and my kids, my kids don't respect me anymore. You see, people across the globe every single day ask themselves this question, and maybe you have found yourself asking this question before. I'm willing to guess that David, this man after God's own heart, he's probably asking himself this question. And the chapter that's before us this morning, do you remember where we left David the last time we studied his story together? On Sunday morning, remember the last time we were with David on Sunday morning, David was living with the enemy. David was living with the enemy of God's people. David was actually living with the Philistines. How in the world did he get there? How in the world did he become a citizen in the land of the Philistines? Well, remember, due to jealousy, and paranoia and really just an evil and hard heart. By this time in 1 Samuel, King Saul is determined to kill David. King Saul is determined to fight against the will of God, to fight against God's will, to put David on the throne of Israel. He is chasing David all over the place. And David is so afraid by this time that he seeks refuge among the Philistines. He actually goes to live among the Philistines. He actually lives among the enemies of God's people for about a year and a half. 
in a town given to him by the king called Ziklag. That's where David is at this point in the book of 1 Samuel. In fact, when this chapter, 1 Samuel 29, opens up, the text tells us that Israel is being invaded by the Philistines. The Philistines are invading the land of Israel. You see, due to Saul's bad leadership and his obsession with killing David, the Philistines by this time have been able to move deep into Israel. They've been able to push Israel further and further to the north. In fact, the text specifically says that by this time, the Philistines have gathered their armies in a place called Aphek and the army of Israel. Well, they are gathered in the Valley of Jezreel. Remember, we studied the Valley of Jezreel. The Jezreel Valley was where a lot of battles took place in the Old Testament. It's also not far from Mount Gilboa where Saul is going to die in the last chapter of this book. Two armies, Israel and the Philistines, they are gathered for battle at the beginning of this chapter, and David finds himself in a terrifying situation. David actually finds himself in a very sticky and stressful situation. He finds himself facing a moment when he might have asked the question of, how did I get here? Are you in 1 Samuel 29? Let's read the Bible together this morning. Let's start with verse number 1. In verse number 1, the scripture says, Now the Philistines gathered together all their armies to Aphek, while the Israelites were camping by the spring, which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines were proceeding on by the hundreds and by the thousands, and David and his men were proceeding on in the rear with Achish. Then the commanders of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, is this not David, the servant of Saul, the king of Israel, who has been with me these days or rather these years? And I found no fault in him from the day he deserted me to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, make the man go back that he may return to his place where you have assigned him and do not let him go down to battle with us or in the battle he may become an adversary to us. For with what could this man make himself acceptable to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of these men? Is this not David of whom they sing in the dances saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Achish called David and said to him, as the Lord lives, You've been upright and you're going out and you're coming in with me and the army are pleasing in my sight for I have not found evil in you from the day of your coming to me this day. Nevertheless, you're not pleasing in the sight of the Lord's. Now, therefore, return and go in peace that you may not displease the Lord's of the Philistines. David said to Achish, but what have I done? And what have you found in your servant from the day when I came before you to this day that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my, my Lord, the king? But Achish replied to David, I know that you're pleasing in my sight like an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said he must not go up with us to the battle. Now then arise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who have come with you and as soon as you have arisen early in the morning and have light, depart. So let's stop right there. 
want you to notice carefully what's going on here at this point in the book of 1 Samuel. Notice how at this point in David's life, David's life is a mess. His life is a mess. He finds himself in a, in a very stressful situation. He's in a situation right now where he might actually have to go, to go to war against his people. He might actually have to go to war against God's people. He might actually have to go to war against the people of Israel. You see, David can't be the future king of Israel if he betrays Israel and fights against them. He can't lead the people of God if he goes to battle against the people of God. David's life is in a mess at this point, And thankfully, he doesn't have to work very hard to get out of this mess because while King Achish, the king of the Philistines, while he likes David and he trusts David and he sings David's praises, the commanders in his army, they don't trust David. They don't like David. They essentially asked King Achish, what in the world are you thinking right now? What in the world are you thinking, King Achish? I mean, are you seriously going to let David go with us out to battle? Are you seriously going to let him go with us on the battlefield? Do you remember who this man is? Do you remember his reputation? Do you remember all of the Philistine soldiers that he has killed while fighting in the army of Saul? What if he gets on the battlefield and he turns against us? What if he gets out there and we're fighting and he changes his mind? He says, you know what? I want to fight with my people. I want to fight with the people of Israel. What if he starts letting Israelite soldiers break through the lines of our army? What if he lets the Israelite soldiers break through our battle line? This is not good, King Achish. We don't want this man going out with us. We don't like him and we don't trust him. That's what they say to King Achish. And did you notice how David responded to that? Did you notice how David responds to what these commanders in the Philistine army say by auditioning for a Hollywood Oscar? He gives Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington a run for their money after King Achish breaks to him the news that he's not going to be able to go out and fight against the Philistines. David acts so disappointed. He acts so sad, even though he has since he's been living with the Philistines. He's been secretly fighting against the enemies of Israel. He acts as though he's so innocent. Oh, I've done nothing wrong. I'm just like an angel. You, you can trust me. I'm, I'm loyal to you. He acts as though he's insulted by what these commanders are saying about him. He puts on a Hollywood Oscar worthy of performance. And King Achish naively believes this performance. He believes him. You know why he believes him? He believes it because he wants to. He wants to believe this. He wants to believe that David really likes him. He wants to believe that he's got David wrapped around his finger. He wants to believe that, hey, I've convinced David to be loyal to me and not King Saul. He wants to believe that David is loyal to him, but to please his, his commanders, he sends it back to Ziklag. 
David doesn't have to do this. He gets out of this mess some kind of way, but his problems are just beginning. His problems in the land of the, of the enemy, they're just beginning. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 11 of chapter 29. 1 Samuel 29 and verse 11. So after Achish says, hey, not going to be able to go with us in battle to fight against Israel. Go back home. Go back to Ziklag. The text goes on to say, so David arose early. He and his men to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. So the Philistine army is going to fight Israel. And Saul's going to die in that battle. We're going to read about that in the last chapter of this book. But chapter 30 and verse 1 goes on to say that it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites, the Amalekites, had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came up to the city, behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahanum, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, remember her, Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, Moreover, David was greatly displeased because, of, because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters, not because of their wives, interestingly enough. Now, they're upset about the kids, but David strengthened himself, and the Lord is God. So notice what goes on as the story continues on. As the story continues on, we see that after King Achish, the king of the Philistines, sends David back to Ziklag, when David gets back there, he finds a mess. He finds a mess. He finds that Ziklag has been destroyed. It has been burnt down by the Amalekites, and they've also stole all his stuff and stole all the stuff of his men. And on top of all those things, they also took their wives and their children into captivity. When David gets back, he sees that Ziklag has been raided by some of his enemies, and if all that wasn't bad enough, in verse number six of this chapter, the scripture says that a lot of people are mad at David. They're mad at David. They actually accuse him of being responsible for this. They blame David for this. They blame him for the fact that their homes have been burned and their families have been taken into captivity. In fact, some of these men are so upset with David that they want to kill him. They want to stone David. They want to end his life. What I want you to see is by the end of verse 6 in 1 Samuel 30, David's got a lot of people who don't like him. A lot of people don't like David. By this time in 1 Samuel, King Saul, he still doesn't like David. 
And then the Philistines, the Philistine commanders, they don't like David. They don't trust David. And then on top of that, David's own men, his mighty men, these men who have been loyal to him up to this point, And they travel with him from place to place. They don't like David. Nobody likes David. His life is a mess. He's got all kind of problems. And just bad things going on. I mean, not only is he a fugitive on the run from a wicked king who set out to destroy him, but he's also living with the enemy. He's living with the Philistines. He's living with the enemies of God's people and the king, King Achish. He actually trusts David and David almost has to go out and fight and battle against his own people. And then on top of all that stuff, Ziklag. Ziklag has been burned with fire. And then their possessions, all their stuff, it's been stolen, it's been taken away. And then on top of all of that, their wives and their children have been taken into captivity. David's got a lot of bad stuff going on and everybody's blaming him. It's your fault, David. We're going to point the finger at David. David is responsible for all of these bad things, these people want to kill him, his own people. This is bad. This is bad. In fact, I'm going to tell you all something. When I read stories like this in the Bible, it forces me to stop doing something. It forces me to stop whining. It forces me to stop griping and complaining. It forces me to pause and get some perspective on my own life. It forces me to maybe acknowledge that some of the problems I may have in my life right now, maybe they're not as big as I'm making them out to be. I mean, we all may have some problems going on in our lives. I may have some problems going on in my life, but David right here, he's got some big problems, doesn't he? He's got some big issues. He's got some major stuff at work. He's got some stuff going on in his life that could drive a person into despair and really break their spirit. I don't envy David at this point in the book of 1 Samuel, but here's the question we need to think about right now. The question we need to think about is what can we learn? What can we learn from all of this? Particularly, I want to know, what can we learn about David? What can we learn about David's character? That's the main reason why we even started this series about David several, several months ago. The reason why we started this series is not just so we can learn some cool things about David and store up our mental filing cabinets. No, the reason why we started this series is because we want to learn about David. We want to learn about his character. What kind of character did David have? So what can we learn from this part of his story? Well, there are three things I want you to look at very quickly, and then we'll go to our Bible classes. First, consider this right here. Consider how even at this point in David's life, even though he, he's going through some bad stuff, even though he's not making the wisest choices, and he's living among some people he shouldn't be living with, God is still with him. God is still with David, and that's something that I need to point out to you because that can be easy to miss. It can be easy to miss that. You know why? Because God is not mentioned much in this part of, of 1 Samuel. He's not mentioned much 
in 1 Samuel 29, and he's not mentioned at all in these six verses, these first six verses of 1 Samuel chapter 30. In fact, the only time that God's name is mentioned at all in chapter 29 is in verse number 6. Verse number 6 of 1 Samuel 29 is the only time God's name is mentioned in that whole chapter, and it's not mentioned by David. It's not mentioned by David. Do you see who it's mentioned by? It's mentioned by King Achish, the heathen king, King Achish. In 1 Samuel 29 and verse number 6, when breaking the news to David, that his commanders don't trust him and they're not going to support him going into battle. Achish begins talking with David by saying, as the Lord lives. Do you see that? Now, in your Bible, the word Lord there, is it in all caps? We talked about the meaning of that last Sunday in our, in our study from Ruth, did we not? Whenever you see Lord in caps like that, the translators are trying to tell us something. They're trying to tell us there that when Achish says Lord there, he's using the very name of God. He's using the name that God is called by his people. He is using the name Jehovah. The only time God's name is mentioned in 1 Samuel 29, it's not by David or any of David's men. It's by King Achish. King Achish is the only one who mentions the name of God, but just because God's name is only mentioned once in that chapter, that doesn't mean God's not there. That, that doesn't mean that God is not working. That doesn't mean that God is not working in the life of David. You see, while God has left and abandoned King Saul by this time, because Saul first left and abandoned God, God is still very much involved in David's life. God is still very active in the life of David. In fact, God is the reason why David is even alive at this point. God is the reason why David has been able to successfully avoid and elude the grip of King Saul. God is the reason why David has been able to survive for a year and a half living with the Philistines. God is the reason why David some kind of way gets out of having to go out and fight against his own people. God is very involved in David's life, and that's something that I have to emphasize to you this morning because it may be the case that when reading the Bible, we conclude that if God is not doing a miracle, if God is not working through a miracle, if God is not giving sight to the blind, and casting demons out of people and walking on water and parting the Red Sea and doing those kinds of things, we may conclude that if God is not working through supernatural means, well, that means he's not doing anything. That means he's not working at all. He's not active. He's sitting up in heaven, sleep on the job. Maybe we might conclude that when we read our Bibles, but I want you to see from the life of David, that's not the case. Do you see that? It's not the case. From David's story, we see that just like in the case of Ruth, like we studied last Sunday, and just like in the case of Samson that we spent several classes studying in our Bible classes, and just like in the case of people like Joseph and Daniel and Esther and the Apostle Paul, here God is also working providentially 
in the life of David. He's working providentially in the life of David. When we say God is working providentially in his life, we mean that God is working naturally and behind the scenes and behind the curtain to protect David and keep him alive and eventually get him to the throne. That's what God is doing here. He's not working through miracles. He's working through providence. And maybe you can think about times in your life where God probably did it the same thing. Maybe as you sit there in the pew this morning, you can think about times in your life where you can't prove it, but it's very likely that God was working providentially. I mean, it could just have been a coincidence, right? It could just have been a coincidence that you had that job at that time in that place working with that co-worker who eventually taught you the gospel and brought you to Jesus Christ. That could have just been a coincidence. It could have just been a coincidence that you visited that gospel meeting at that church on that night and you were able to meet for the first time the person that you've now been married to for the last 20, 30 or 40 years. That couldn't have just been a coincidence. It could just have been by chance that after making a foolish decision like David is making foolish decisions here in this part of the story that you're still alive. You made a foolish decision, but you're still alive today. You're still sitting there in that pew. God saved you some kind of way. God saved you maybe through an airbag. God saved you through a seatbelt. God saved you through using somebody to get you out of that car before it blew up. God is with David. He's with him providentially, just like he's with us every day. Providentially. But not only is God with David, a second lesson I want you to take away is this. I want you to also take away that during this time, David seeks God. He's not making the best decisions, but he does make a really good decision here. He seeks God. He seeks God during a time of crisis. And I want you to see that, please. Look back at 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. When you look at verse 6 again of chapter 30, this is after David returns to Ziklag and sees it's been destroyed. It says, moreover, David was greatly distressed. Notice the stress on him because the people spoke a stone in him. Everybody's pointing the finger at him for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. Now, look at this part here. This is key. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Please bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he said, The Lord said, Pursue them. You will surely overtake them, and you will surely rescue all. Notice what David does. You see that? Notice how during this very stressful and dark time in his life, David doesn't, David doesn't panic. He doesn't lose his cool. He doesn't quit. He doesn't blame God. Instead, he strengthens himself in God. 
He strengthens himself in the Lord his God. What does that mean? Well, when the Bible says that he strengthened himself in the Lord his God, it means that David put his trust in God. He leaned upon God. He sought counsel from God about what he should do next. Now, that's very different than what you find with King Saul. Remember when King Saul found himself in a stressful situation. When he found himself in a time of panic, when he found himself in a situation where the Philistine armies are invading Israel and he doesn't know what he should do, he doesn't strengthen himself in God. He doesn't trust God. He doesn't lean on God. He doesn't seek counsel from God. Remember what he did in chapter 28? He went to Endor and sought a witch. He sought counsel from a sorcerer, from a medium. That's what Saul does. David is very different than Saul. David doesn't do like Saul. But the question is, what about us? What about me? What about you? What do we do in our zig-lag moments? In our zig-lag moments. In our moments of despair. And our moments of confusion and our moments are in anxiety. And when the doors we feel like are slamming shut and people, people are blaming us for things we didn't do. And everybody seems like they're turning against us and the world is just crumbling all over us. And those kind of zigzag moments, what do we do? Do we give up? Do we throw in the spiritual towel? Do we wallow in despair and try to take matters into our own hands and use our own wisdom? Or like David, do we strengthen ourselves in God? Do we trust God? Do we lean on God? Do we remind ourselves of God's promises? Do we seek God's counsel through prayer and through his word and through consulting with people like shepherds and other faithful and wise brothers and sisters in Christ? David is a man who in a time of distress, in a zigzag moment, he sought the Lord. He sought the Lord's counsel and the Lord's help. In fact, not only did he seek the Lord, but I want to conclude with this. He also obeyed the Lord. Did you notice that? Look, look back at the text one more time, please. Verse 8 again. Verse 8. David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he, this is the Lord saying, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and you will surely rescue all. Now here's the key, verse 9. So David what? Went. David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and he came to the brook Besor, where those left behind remain. We'll stop right there. Notice how after inquiring of the Lord about what he should do next, the scripture says that David, when he learned what God said, he went. He went. That language there means he trusted God. And he believed God and he obeyed God's instructions. He went after the Amalekites. He pursued them. He tracked them down. And with the Lord's providential help, if you go home and keep reading the rest of the chapter, you'll see he gained a great victory and reclaimed everything that they had lost. 
God blessed David to defeat his enemy. And David was grateful for that. David gave God the glory for that. And he also divided the spoils of war with his entire army, even the men who didn't necessarily fight in the battle. And he also sent gifts to the elders of, of the tribe of Judah and returned even to them some of the possessions that had been stolen from them by the Amalekites. You know what you're seeing here, my friends? And I don't want you to miss this. What you're seeing here in this section, what the Holy Spirit is trying to show us is a contrast. He's trying to show us a contrast in leadership, a contrast in the leadership of Saul and David. You see, while Saul is a poor leader, while he is selfish and disobedient and seeks counsel from a witch, David is the total opposite. Even in times of despair. Even in Ziklag moments, even when it seems like everybody and everything is going against him, he's still a great leader. He seeks counsel from God. He trusts God. He obeys God. When God tells him to do something, he doesn't hesitate. He just does it. He obeys the Lord. And the question is, what about me? What about you? When we discover something from in the word of God that God wants us to do, what do we do? Do we just do? Do we obey? Do we trust God? Do we walk in faith? Do we understand that obedience is not just a key component to us having a right relationship with God, but it also demonstrates whether or not we truly love God as Jesus said. And John 14 and verse 15. David is a very different kind of leader than Saul. And so even in his how did I get here moment, God is still with this man. God is still protecting him. God's watching over him. God's giving him counsel. When he seeks God's counsel, God is determined to get David to the throne. Even though David is not perfect, he's making mistakes. He wavers in his faith at times. At times he puts himself in sticky situations, and yet God still gives him grace. God is still patient with him. God still gives him mercy. In fact, not only does God give David grace and mercy, he does the same with us. He does the same with me and you. And maybe this morning you need to act on the grace of God. Maybe like David this morning, you need to get up and do something. You need to obey God. You need to believe the gospel and repent and be baptized. Or if you are a Christian that's not living right, you need to repent and seek the prayers of God's people. If there's anyone here this morning who needs to be a doer like David was. Come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing together.